Genesis chapter 31. Um, last week we finished chapter 30, and we read about a second deal that Laban had made with Jacob. And um, we kind of talked about that a little bit, and knowing the ins and outs of the first deal, we can understand why Jacob was hesitant uh, about this second deal with his father-in-law. And, and uh, Jacob entered into this second deal with great caution because the first time that he made a deal with his father-in-law Laban, he was tricked. Consequently, Jacob spent 14 years of his life um, working for Laban in order to get the woman that he loved as his wife for his wife. And we know that when these 14 years of service were fulfilled, um, when they were completed, that Jacob um, then sought to make another deal. And he agreed to remain with Laban and continue to shepherd over his flocks. And in doing so, Jacob's wages um, uh, that they made this agreement for would be the mixed breed of the animals from the flocks. Remember the streaked and the striped and the spotted ones, not the purebreds. And um, we know that uh, God had spoke to Jacob in a dream, and God had given uh, Jacob the wisdom to ask for these mixed-breed animals, even though it was uh, counterintuitive to what, what, what you might normally do, knowing that uh, the, the pure breeds were the better and the most likely to reproduce on, on as far as in numbers. But God gave him the wisdom to ask for the mixed breed of the animals, the payment for his, for his work. And at the end of chapter 30, if you remember from our study last week, or you can go there and look before we jump back into chapter 31, but uh, we were told that as a result of trusting in God, and as a result of doing what God had said, that Jacob became exceedingly prosperous while Laban's, this this tricky father-in-law of his, his wealth diminished. And, and as you can imagine, this was not pleasing to Laban. Laban wasn't like, oh yeah, son-in-law, I'm so glad you're getting rich and I'm getting poor. And um, Laban uh, and his sons, who were to be the inheritors of all of Laban's wealth, they, they were not pleased with it as they were watching their inheritance dwindle away as, as Jacob's wealth increased. And in this next chapter, we read how God, who had who who was he's the one in control of all these things, how God who was in control of all these things spoke. He spoke again to Jacob, telling him it was time to leave. Time to return to the land of his father. And, and that's what we read about in this chapter. But the thing about it is, is that Jacob was afraid. He was afraid that if Laban found out that he was leaving, that he would send him away without his wives, without his children, and without the flocks that he had worked for, the wages that he had earned during this last six years of, of, serving, of serving Laban. So Jacob secretly gathers together his family. He calls his, his wives and his children out to the fields where he is at, and um, he gathers all of his possessions, and he left without even saying a word to Laban. However, as you can imagine, this didn't go over too well. With, and, and, and Laban um, was angered, and um, Jacob's actions only made things worse when Laban found out that Jacob had snuck away, and so he set pursuit. And he pursued Jacob all the way to the mountains of Gilead. Uh, it took him what we're told here in this text that we'll read about seven days to do so. <coughs> and this is where these, these two men, Jacob and Laban, have this one last confrontation. 
And, and one last agreement is they agree to part ways forever. So with that, um, I'll pray, and then we'll begin reading chapter 31. Father, thank you, God, for this time together this morning. I'm thankful, God, for the reminder through that spoken word earlier in the video that um, you are the, the, the greatest artist. And God, we are your um, artwork, and you're, you're doing an, a continuing work in us and through us. And um, God, we're so thankful for what the work that you're doing in us and, 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 and through us. But God, we're so grateful for this beautiful world that you've placed us in. God, we know that you've created it for us, the stars and the moon, the seas and the oceans and the trees and, and the animals and everything that you filled this earth with. God, that we can enjoy, that we can look upon and see the beauty. And God, it tells us, you tell us in your word that all of the creation testifies of who you are and of your great love for us. And Father, I pray we'd be reminded of that this morning, that you love us and God, that you have good for us. Because God, sometimes it feels like when we're in the midst of these difficult situations like Jacob, God, it, it feels overwhelming and, and, and fear and anxiety and worry can grab a hold of us. And, and God, we can lose sight of the fact that you're for us and that you're with us. So God, this morning, I pray for anyone who's struggling, God, it may not be a hard spot where discouragement and the enemy is attacking them and where fear and, and worry is consuming them. And, and, and I pray, God, that they would be reminded this morning, that they would be reassured this morning, God, that you're intimately aware as the creator, as the artist of all things, God, of their situation and that you care for them, and that you love them, and that you're working these things out, God, together for, for their good. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, rather than reading through the whole chapter and, and then coming back and breaking it down since it's a very long chapter, I just want to kind of take it in bite-sized pieces. And so in verse 1 we read, and go through the first three verses here, it says, Now, now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, um, Jacob has taken away all that, our fa- that was our father's, and from what our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed, it was not favorable towards him as before. And if you remember, it was never really that great, but... It had changed. And then in verse 3, it says, then the, Lord, then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family. And here's the key. I will be with you. I will be with you. Now, if you remember from last week's study that Laban had been glad. To some, to some degree, he expressed a, a, a gratitude or, or, or an appreciation um, for Jacob being around, because not because of Jacob, but because that um, he had been blessed by God for Jacob's sake. Remember, he said, "I've experienced this blessing because of you." And we we seen that because God's hand of favor was on Jacob over those first fourteen years that Jacob um, had had brought this blessing into the, the, the home and the family of Laban. In fact, during that first 14 years that Jacob had been with Laban, we, we are told that he had gone from having very little or somewhat little to having a great amount, a great increase. And as long as Laban was prospering, he was glad to have Jacob around. However, 
things changed after Jacob had made that deal with Laban and enacted God's plan. And now Laban and his sons, who really only cared about their wealth, they had slowly watched Jacob prosper and their wealth decrease. In fact, in verse, four, in verse 1, it says that the sons of Laban, they, they, they were even perceiving this thing. They were perceiving that, that Jacob's wealth was the result of him taking it away from Laban. And now you and I know that it was something that God had done. And later on, we're going to read that Jacob even testifies to this as he explains it to his wives, that God had taken it and given it to to Jacob, but it, it wasn't done in an underhanded way. It wasn't done with deceit. And, and, um, and so this, this perception of Laban's sons that Jacob was somehow stealing from their father was not the truth. And, and um, Jacob had not been dishonest, um, nor did he steal anything from Laban, his father-in-law. Um, rather, he was faithful. He was faithful to the agreement um, that he had made with Laban, and, and, and faithful to the plan that God had given him. And because Jacob st- stuck to God's plan, he prospered. Because Jacob stuck to God's plan, he prospered, in spite of Laban's many attempts to change the results in the deal that they had made. Now, real quickly, I want to I take just a second to, I kind of spoke about this a, a little bit last week, but, but even more so, it, it bears repeating this morning, because as we begin to think about these things in, 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 in relationship to God's way of doing things and our way of doing things, it can be hard to stick to God's plan. You know, initially we go into it and we see with, with, with marriage or with parenting or finances or, or any venue of life where we can go to God's word and God says, hey, do it this way, and, and our flesh or the world says, well, we think that we should do it this way. Right, because the world always has a way of doing it. As a matter of fact, I said this before. You can go to a place like Walgreens, where they have all these—or not Walgreens, but um, Hastings, where you have all these different books. You can go to this self-help section, and it's huge. There's there's every book you could ever manage on every in any kind of any given topic, where you have not just one but tens of hundreds of different books that will give you advice on how you should deal with this particular thing of your life. And what they're doing is, is they're giving you a plan. I was talking to somebody even yesterday um, about some marriage things, and, and they're having some difficulties in their marriage because they've been doing marriage their way, not God's way. And, and the thing about doing God's way is it's often counterintuitive. It's, 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 it's not normal to us. It's not natural to us or to the world's way of doing things. And so we enter into it with that faith like Jacob going, okay, God, I'm going to have to trust you in this. You said the spotted, the speckled, and the streaked. Or you said I should do marriage this way. Or you said you should, I should do my finances this way. And so, God, I'm going to take that step of faith and, and trust you and go forward in doing that. But what happens is is usually difficulties come, right? Trials come. Doing things God's way puts you in an adversarial role against the enemy, against the world, against your own flesh. And as you're going through these things, and they don't always, in the moment, work out the way that we want or the way that we expect, the temptation is is to withdraw. Is it not? 
is to with, the temptation is to withdraw from the plan that God's given us, from the instruction that God's given us. And what we see in relationship to Jacob is, is that he had many opportunities. We'll find out a little later on that through this six-year period of time, ten different times Jacob changed the agreement. We don't get the details of that, but it was like Jacob got thrown a curveball over and over and over again. And each one of those curveballs that came at him could have been an opportunity or a temptation to go, you know what, God, that sounded good to begin with. And this guy's deceiving me and, and tricking me and not holding true to it. So I'm going to go ahead and, and do things in a way that seems right to me. But Jacob didn't. He stayed the course. He stuck to the plan. He goes, God, as for me... In my household, and I know that this was not Jacob's quote, but it's the same kind of a thing. As for me and my household, we're going to serve you. We're going to do what you say. And we're going to allow for you to determine the outcome. You see, the thing about it for us is, is, is it's hard for us to discern in the moment what's going on because we don't see as God sees, right? We, we can't see the beginning of a thing from its end or the end of a thing from its beginning, and, and how many times have you looked back on your life and going, oh, if I'd have just known now what I'd known then? You know, that hindsight is twenty twenty kind of a thinking. Well, spiritually, that's true as well. But the way to keep going forward is by faith. And Jacob went, by, went forward by faith. He stuck to God's plan. And in doing so, he prospered in spite of Laban's many attempts to change the results of the deal they made. But Jacob's acquisition of wealth didn't make Laban or his sons happy. Did not make Laban or his sons happy, this acquisition of wealth that Jacob was receiving. And in verse 2, it tells us that when Jacob realized this, and I always kind of wonder how that, how that actually played out, but we're not given the details of it. But when Jacob realized this, that, that, that it had become a problem, um, uh, and he realized it somehow because of the countenance that we're told. The countenance towards him was no longer favorable. Now, if you have a, a, a father-in-law, guys, <laughs> you kind of know, right? When they're not, when, without even saying a word, they give you that look or, 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 or that glance. You, you can know when things aren't favorable for you. And, and I'm sure it was even greater than that with Laban, meaning the only really reason what we're being told here to begin with, the only real reason for why Laban was glad to have Jacob around previously, that, that was gone. This, this, this whole benefiting from Jacob's presence and, 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 and having his wealth increase, that was gone. And, and in the expression on Laban's face now, or the, the, the expression on Laban's face that once said, I'm happy, to, I'm happy that you're here because I'm becoming wealthy because of you, that, that look, whatever it was, was now gone. That attitude, that, that sense that, that came with that was now gone. And, and what was now being said was, was this. I'm going to get you before you get everything of mine. Because that's what was happening. And because Laban had already dealt with Jacob in so many evil, if you think about this, he had already been, he had already, the relationship between these two guys was already heated to some degree. Remember, Jacob had been treated in evil and deceitful ways. And, 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 and because that was the standard by which they were operating, it's likely that now Laban and his sons were planning something greater beyond just trickery and deception. Probably trying to figure out how to do some kind of physical harm to Jacob in order to take back all that Jacob 
all that God had, had taken from Laban and given to Jacob. And, and sensing that, that things were now going from bad to worse, it became evident to Jacob that it was time for him to move on. Now, even though God was initially or, or intimately aware of Jacob's situation, it appears that God's words here in verse 3, it appears that his words were a response. That they were a response perhaps to Jacob praying and asking what to do next. You know, like, hey, hey, God, can't you see what's going on here? Things have changed. They're out to get me. What, what should I do? And remember, Jacob had been given the plan, and this wasn't the first time throughout this plan through these six years where things weren't going well. But yet Jacob remained. <clears throat> and, and I believe Jacob remained because God's word remained the same. Jacob, stay, stick to the plan. I know Laban's tried to deceive you again, but Jacob, stay, stick to the plan. God, what about now? Jacob, stay and stick to the plan. And now in this instance, when the, the countenance of Jacob had changed and the sons of, of Jacob were, were perceiving that, that Jacob was a thief who, who, was, who was swindling them, Jacob again prays, asking God what to do. God, what's the plan? I don't think Jacob wanted to, to mess up what God had done for him as he had begun to prosper and he began to see that God was faithful. He was beginning to have this relationship with God where it was intimate, it was experiential. And he could rest in that and he could trust in that. And even though Jacob was sensing danger, it's clear that his faith and trust in God had grown over these six years. And he didn't want to stop doing what God had said unless God told him to do something different. And guys, the same is true with us. You know, we don't move, we don't change, we don't, we don't alter our path, our direction that God has set our feet to unless God tells us otherwise. We don't allow for the circumstances of life or the opinions and, and, and perceptions of others or even, even how people may come at us, like in this sense where there may be fear or great danger. We don't allow for those things to move us. None of these things move me. But God. So the Lord spoke to Jacob and he said, he said this. Return to the land of your father and of your family. But it's important to note that when God, who was watching over Jacob during this whole time, as he had promised he would do so when he first gave him the plan... When he spoke to him at this time, not only did he tell him that it was time to return, he also told him this. He said, if you look there in verse 3, he said, I will be with you. Wherever you go, Jacob, I will be with you. And like God's previous promises, and like how they were intended to be words of comfort and words of assurances, this too was also a promise of assurance. A promise of comfort, telling Jacob that God would protect him from Laban and his sons, so he had nothing to fear. And so why does God usually do that for us? Why does he speak words of assurance to us, telling us we have nothing to fear? Because we usually, in those moments, are afraid. We're looking at the circumstances of the situation, and we see how they're unfavorable, and we go, God. And in this situation, God said, Jacob, I will be with you. And, and this assurance, but this assurance to protect Jacob from Laban, it was also a promise to protect Jacob from his brother Esau. Because not only was Jacob 
leaving a place, just like when he had previously came to Badan Aram, not only was he leaving a place, he was going to a place. And we see, we see this in God's words that, that, that Jacob had been instructed with when Jacob was commanded to go back to his father's land, but also to go back to, God said, your family, the land of your family. And this meant going back to a brother. Remember from our studies a few weeks ago? This meant going back to a brother who had previously been seeking to kill Jacob for stealing his birthright blessing. And it would be like almost like, God, you want me to get out of the frying pan and get into the fire. Into the fire. How is that any better, God, than where I'm already at? Can't you say, go to the beach? <laughs> you know, I've been herding these sheep for a while. I've got a lot of wealth. Why can't I just go set up camp on the beach where I have no enemies? But God had a plan. And with this instruction, we see how, how, how Jacob needed, first of all, this assurance that God would be with him as he left and as he went back home to face his brother. And in light of this, it's important to point out that this promise of assurance that God spoke to Jacob is a promise that God has also spoken to us. God's spoken these same promises to us. A promise to be with us. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, guys, this, this promise to be with us has been fulfilled for us in a much greater way than it ever had been for any of the Old Testament saints. Any of them. King David, Isaiah, Abraham, Moses, Jacob. You think of any of them and, and, and these promises that God, these covenantal promises of God that, that they had spoken to prosper them, to, to be with them, to watch over them, to protect them. We have experienced these promises in a greater way, in a much greater way than any of the Old Testament saints had ever. Especially this promise to, to be with us. And this is a pretty awesome thing considering how David actually spoke of his experience of presencing, of, of, of his experience of God's presence in his life, where he said in Psalm 139, he said this in verses 7 through 10, he says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And he says, if I'm going to make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Pretty awesome experience that David writes about. But our experience is even greater than this. In that, guys, through our faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us that we've become partakers of God's prophesied promise to be always with us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Something that none of the Old Testament saints ever experienced. Furthermore, Scripture tells us that Jesus, whom we follow, in whom we have a personal relationship, that he wears this title of Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. So in Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, we have so much more than just a God who is watching over our every move from afar. We have a God who walks every step with us, no matter what, no matter where we go and no matter what we're going through, so that our protection is ensured and so that our provision 
is always met. A God who is in us. A God who is with us. And this is why we're told in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, we're told this. It says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with this confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can Laban or man do to me? What can man do to me? And the point is this promise of God always being with us is a promise that we need to rest in. When we're facing things, uncertain things, that can cause us to be afraid. Likewise, this was a promise that Jacob could have and should have rested in. Jacob, I will be with you. But as we read on, we see that fear got the best of Jacob. And as a result, Jacob reacted to his fear instead of wholly responding to God's promise and to, and to God's leading. In doing so, things did not go in the best way that they could have. And in verse 4, we read, and it says, So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah, his two wives, to the field to his flocks. And he said to them, I see your father's countenance that is not favorable towards me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow for him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and has given them to me. And it happened in verse 10, at that time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. Then verse 11, the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the lambs which... Leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, and where you now and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Now I want to point out that twice in this chapter, <coughs> first in verse 9, here we read, and then again in verse 42. Jacob acknowledged God. Jacob acknowledged God, and he first gave him the credit for the increase that he had received while working for Laban. And then this explaining to his wife, he didn't, he didn't go, well, after years of hard work and faithful diligence, my wives, we have been, we have prospered, and, 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 and now we, we need to go. You know, he, he takes the time to give God the credit. And the thing to point out is that in these verses, we see that Jacob is, is taking to explain to his wives in this moment the reasons for why they needed to leave. <clears throat> and in doing so, Jacob was pointing them to what God had done and to what God had said. And not only was Jacob being a godly leader by doing this, he was being a kind and loving husband. Considering this news of moving away would have been a very difficult thing for Leah and Rachel who would have had to move away from everything and everyone that they had ever known. And Jacob's willingness to explain 
what God had said illustrates for us how being a godly leader or being a godly husband isn't about telling people what to do. And it's very well what could have happened. Jacob could have said, gather your things, we're leaving now. Being a godly leader and being a godly husband, husband isn't just about telling people what to do. Rather, it's, it's coming alongside them and, and patiently pointing them to what God has said to do. You know, that's, 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 the, that's the benefit of being a, a pastor or, or even a Christian who counsels someone with the word of God. You have a friend, a family, a neighbor, a co-worker who's struggling in their life and they come to you advice. You know, you can, you can be abrupt and go, hey, listen, this is what you need to do, stupid. Or you can take the time to be patient and kind with them and come alongside them and tell them what God says to do. And that's what Jacob is doing here. He's speaking these words and saying, hey, guys, this is what God has done, and this is what God has said to do. And let me tell you guys, when you're leading your wives and your family in that way, it brings forth a great peace and comfort into the home when your wife knows that you've sought God and God's spoken to you, and the way that you're going and the way that you're leading is a way that God has said, not your ways, but God's ways. And this is what God is doing, and as Jacob, or what Jacob is doing, and as Jacob explained to his wives how God had taken what was Laban's and given it to him, Jacob was pointing out, um, he was pointing them really to the sovereignty of, to, of God, to God's sovereign hand in their lives and over this situation by saying that in, in, even in spite of all of the deception and the trickery and the changing of the wages that Laban had done, according to verse 7, he was first protected through it all. And then according to verse 9, that he had prospered because of God. I love 1 Samuel. Um, for a lot of reasons. But in chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, there's this, there's this quote. It says this, speaking about the sovereignty of God. It says, the Lord kills and makes alive. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked he shall be, the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. And this really testifies to the sovereignty of God, that he's in control of all things, the things that we perceive as good and things that we perceive as bad, which is really a judgment upon the works and the acts and the knowledge of God that we are not equipped to make. And as we look at the sovereignty of God and see these verses, the things that are written here in 1 Samuel, we need to see that nothing happens is what we're being told. Nothing happens to us, whether it's a life thing or a death thing, without God's permission. Nothing happens to us without God's permission, for he is in control of all things. And in light of this, we can't forget that God, who is always with us, 
is ultimately the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is in control of every situation that we find ourselves in. You know, because of this, David wrote in Psalm chapter 27, verses 1 and 3, he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, I will be confident in this. But as you well know, the fact of the matter is, God, who is the sovereign king of kings, who is always with us, doesn't always allow for things to take place in our lives in a way that we think in a way that we think is the best meaning even though god is the sovereign king of kings it doesn't mean and he's the one that we love he's the one that we worship he's the one that we serve he's the one who we follow that didn't always mean that things are going to go in a way that we want or in a way that we expect in fact for jacob even though god had protected him and even though god had prospered him we see that these last six years of working for Laban had been very difficult. Considering verse 7, which tells us that ten times Laban had changed Jacob's wages, and time after time he had broken the agreement that they had made. And if you've ever had someone lie to you, if you've ever had someone trick you, if you've ever had someone deceive you with the intention of harming you or taking advantage of you, then you know what this kind of betrayal is, and you can know that it can be very discouraging. And when you're in the middle of these kinds of difficult things, the truth is it's hard to, it's hard to keep your, your, your focus or your eyes on the fact that God's still in control. Matter of fact, everything in us in that moment goes, God, where are you? Do you not see what's going on here? As if the thing that we're going through or the, 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 the problems that we are having are somehow out of God's control. Facebook is wonderful, and I, I, I robbed this quote from somebody here in our own church. But I'm reminded of this quote that I read from Oswald Chambers, who wrote about the sovereignty of God and said this. He said, we are not fundamentally free. External circumstances are not in our hands. They are in God's hands. The one thing in which we are free is in our personal relationship to God. We are not responsible for the circumstances we are in, but we are responsible for the way we allow those circumstances to affect us. And we can either allow them to get on top of us, and sometimes that's what it feels like, right? When those circumstances that are, that are coming at us in, in our lives that are not favorable, it just feels like a heavy burden is upon us. And, and, we, and, he, and Oswald Chambers recognizes that, and he said we can either allow for them to get on top of us, and, and it describes this crushing effect that comes along with that. He says, or we can allow them transform us into what God wants us to be. And as Jacob, in these verses, guys, took the time to explain to his wives what God had done and what God had now said, we see that God, who caused Jacob to prosper, even while in the midst of, 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 of these kinds of hard circumstances, 
Circumstances ultimately that I like to define as circumstances that I can't control or even even have this perception that I can control. Circumstances that Jacob could not control. Even through all of this, God was transforming Jacob into what he wanted Jacob to be. That's what Jacob's recognizing here. That's what he's acknowledging. And when he speaks these things in verse 14, his wives respond. It says, Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and has also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our Father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever, I love this, whatever God has said to you, do it. Whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all of his livestock and all of his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now, Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So, verse 21, he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed towards the mountains of Gilead. Here we see that both Leah and Rachel they knew, right? They knew that the father was a scoundrel from their own personal experiences, and he'd even dealt with them both in dishonest ways. Consequently, when Jacob explained how God had, had, had said to, it's time to get out of the land and return to the land of your family, Leah and Rachel agreed, both of them, to do whatever God had told Jacob to do. But you ever heard it said, you know, you can do the right thing, you can just do it in the wrong way? doing the right thing, but doing it in the wrong way. And that's what we read here with, with, with Jacob. Is <clears throat> he got the command from God, the instruction, the permission to go ahead and go, but he goes about it in the wrong way. And the way in which they were leaving by sneaking away was not the best, as we're told that Jacob stole away unknown to Laban rather than facing him in an honest in open way. And we know that he did so because he was afraid, right? He was afraid of what Laban might do. And the point is, is, is in this, we know that God never told Jacob to sneak away, to do it in an underhanded way. On the contrary, he told Jacob these words to give him the confidence to handle it and deal with it in a right way, in a godly way. He said, Jacob, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And if God was with Jacob, then he really had nothing to fear. But, uh, but the truth is, as you well know, as, as I well know, fear is a very powerful thing. Fear is a powerful emotion. And when Jacob had listened to his wives tell of how Laban had even treated his own daughter so badly, I'm sure he considered who Laban, the quote-unquote Syrian, was and what things he'd already done. And in doing so, I think Jacob put the pile of it together and he reacted to his fears just like we all have done at times. 
I think he probably had intentions of going to, 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 to Jacob before he spoke to his wives or to Laban. Maybe he didn't, maybe he did. But I can see that where he's like, hey, hey wives, this is what we're going to do. This is what God said. And they're like, yeah, our dad's a scoundrel. He's even stolen from us. And, and he's done all these, you know, he, they, they add to, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the revelation of just what a bad guy Laban is. And then, and then, and then I'm thinking, Jacob's just like, okay, we're just, we're just out of here. Now, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but the, that additional information became overwhelming to him, and his fears rose up. But you know what? Reacting to our fears rather than trusting in and doing what God has instructed us to do is never a good thing. And if you've ever reacted to your fears rather than doing what God has instructed you to do, you know that it's not a good thing. And as Christians, we need to remember that because God is with us, there's no need to fear. And, I, and, and what I, when, I, when, I, when I say remember that, I mean we need to be able to allow those things, what we know here in our head, to transfer from our head to our heart to give us that rest, to give us that peace, to give us that assurance. And this is why Jesus, guys, this is why Jesus, speaking about the gift in the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples and saying, you know what, guys, I'm going to go away, right? You remember? But I'm not going to leave you alone. This is why Jesus, speaking about the presence of God forever with us, said in John chapter 14, verses 26 through 27, he said, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to remembrance all things that I've said to you. And what Jesus is, says here, he's really saying, he's saying, because of that, he says, I'm leaving with you peace. Peace I leave with you. Who was he leaving with him? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one who would give them the peace. Peace I'm leaving with you. My peace I give to you. And it's not a peace as the world gives. I don't give it in that way. So he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so Jesus speaks about this fear he knows that we have, that we, that we face. But he says, don't worry, guys. I'm leaving you with my peace, with the Holy Spirit, with my presence, ultimately, in you and with you. Furthermore, in addition to God being with us, that helps this come to here, we need to remember that we have nothing to fear because not only is God with us, guys, God's for us. God's with us, and God is for us. And he who is for us, the Bible tells us, has not given us a spirit of fear. He who is for us has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Three things rather than fear. Power, love, and a sound mind. And this is what 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 tells us. And I want to point out to you that the Greek word used here for a sound mind in this passage is the word sophron ismos. And this word is an encouragement. Literally, it's a call of encouragement. It's a call of encouragement to thoughts of moderation. Have you ever had to do that with somebody who's in a state of despair? You're like, hang on just a second. Let's think about this for a minute. To have a sound mind, to look at the bigger picture, to not react. 
We don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And it's this call, this encouragement to thoughts of, matter, of moderation. It's, it's, it's a call, it's an encouragement to self-control. In other words, when we're faced with feelings that seek to control us, to control what we do or how we think, like, like fear or anxiety or worry, what we're being, do, what we're being told here is, is we're called to exercise a sound mind. To take those feelings and those ungodly thoughts that can, that, that can lead us in, in, into places uh, that, that we don't want to go, that God doesn't want us to go, uh, thoughts that can, 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 can bring us and take this captive, that we're to take those thoughts and feelings captive and, and give them to God rather than to react to them, to have a sound mind. And in Philippians chapter 4, we're told that once we take these thoughts, these feelings captive, that we're to replace them. You're to swap them out with what we know to be true. I know Laban is a scoundrel, and I know he's going to not be happy and want to hurt me, but the truth is, God said he'd be with me. See, to replace those fears and the, and the feelings and the thoughts that, that, that we have the Bible says, with what we know to be true. And then once we do that, we're to meditate in Philippians 4. It says, meditate on what is pure, what is lovely, whatever things are of a good report, and whatever is virtuous, giving praise and thanksgiving to God. And in doing so, these things we have, and in doing these things, we have a promise, the Bible says. When we do these things, the Bible says we receive a promise, a promise of rest, a promise of joy, and a promise of peace that surpasses the understanding of the situation that we find ourselves in, the situation that we go, God, it's out of control. But if we don't exercise this sound mind and remember that God has given us a spirit of love, then we will react in ways that are not good for us, you know, and we usually make things worse and not better. Um, I, I, I guess we're going to have to end here. So, uh, Justin and Rich, if you want to come back up. Guys, I want to encourage you because we've all been in this spot. And it, and it doesn't even have to be one of these life-changing situations, guys. I love it in the Song of Solomon that, that the shoalmates that she writes and she speaks to her her, her love and, and, and relationship to their marriage. And she says, she says, let us catch the little foxes. And the idea about that is, is the idea behind what she's talking about is how the little foxes can come through the vineyard. And what they do is they nibble on the things from down below. And as they nibble from the grapes and the vines down below, these little foxes, as if they're not dealt with, if they're not if they're not dealt with in a right way or a godly way, if she's speaking about in our relationship, in our marriage relationship specifically, what happens is, is the whole thing can be destroyed. And again, guys, it's not these, these life-changing events that, that we're always dealing with where this word, these truths apply. It's in the everyday things that we're faced with that we go, am I going to live for God today? Am I going to do things Christ's way? Or am I going to allow for my fears, my anxieties, my flesh, or what the world says, direct me in a way that is opposite? 
And if we can apply these truths in the little things, in the day-to-day ins and outs of life, in parenting, in marriage, in finances, in, in school, in work, and even driving down the road or waiting in the line at Walmart or, or wherever you're at, if we begin to do that, then when these bigger things of life come, these life and death issues that God's in control of on either side of it, then what will be our natural reaction is to do what God has already been doing in us and through us in the everyday. So that those times of hardship, when they do come, the times when we go, God, it's all out of control. God's already done that work in us. And we come to this place of rest and joy and peace because we do what God has already taught us and instructed us and we put into practice in our lives to do. Father, we thank you, God, for this time and these words of encouragement, these promises to know, God, that you are with us and that you're in us. And Lord, that you have a great... <clears throat> work that you're doing in us and in transforming us into the, into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray, God, that you would give us strength and courage this morning, knowing, God, that your Holy Spirit is in us, that you've given us power and love and not fear. And Lord, so I ask for anyone here who is in bondage to their fear, to the circumstances that are controlling their lives, the uncertainties that are surrounding the moments of the things that they're going through, Father, that you would remind them that, that you see the, 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 the beginning of the thing all the way to the end, and you know that you're sovereign and you're in control, that you're the King of kings and you're the Lord of lords, and God, that we can trust in you and that we can put our faith in you, and God, that you're reliable and trustworthy. And I pray, God, that you would bring a resolve to these situations for these folks. And, God, that they would see that they can patiently wait on you as you do this. Lord, we love you, and we trust you, and we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.